Welcome. You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander with me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. And me, Reverend Terry Menevigal. Hi, my name is Lynn R., and you're listening to the Outlander Soul podcast, where we look at the Outlander series by Diana Gabaldon through a theological, religious, and spiritual lens and talk about the story's meaning in our lives. As always, be aware, there are spoilers ahead. Episode 7, we're back. Episode 7, we are. Yeah, so we're still here, we're still alive, we're still theologizing and and talking about Outlanders, it's great. (laughs) Always theologizing. (laughs) Always. Not just about Outlander, but about everything. The burden is it's huge. It's like Paul people. and Thessalonians, but you know, <laughs> theologize without ceasing. Pretty much. Pretty much. And there's so much. There's so much to be Reformed doing. Reformed right and still reforming. Theologizing yeah. and theologizing and yeah. theologizing. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. is so much. Yeah. There is um, so much. Oh Lord. I think it's just the nature of the beast, right? We just mm. think of these things. With, mm. I, I always am envious of the people who can go through life and go, huh, that's great, and move on. <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so this is apropos of today's conversation, but I'm horrible about I having heard stuff or read something and then not paying attention to where it was and then thinking about it oh, later yeah. and just going, damn it, <laughs> where was it? That's what but the anyway, interwebs are for. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm not even quite sure how I can go about searching for it again. But basically, in talking about call and vocation, someone was reciting some research saying that 20% of people basically have kind of no ambition in life. And I'm thinking 20% is, is the right number, but it was something Larger than I expected, but smaller than most people like yeah, us would expect. Yeah, that sounds too. about right. About one in five people that I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just and, kind of and just thinking about the yeah the people <laughs> that I know who are that way, who have kind of no ambition and are, are happy enough to just kind of do their job and go home and live a decent life and you know just kind of get on with it and be whatever. And being so envious. <laughs> They clearly so envious of those people. They clearly who no, did not go on youth retreats no, where they no. were told that they were the special one yeah. that God wanted to go out and do God's will. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So twenty percent of the people who have no Messiah complex whatsoever, no need to change the world, no need Lucky to them. be out there and making a difference in anybody's lives. No, nothing <laughs> like that. And I know some people would be like, "Oh, that's so sad," but I'm like. Gosh, they must be so peaceful. (laughs) They can eat pizza and not worry about what it looks like on them. I know. They can can go through life and go... I don't know if they go that far. (laughs) They can go through life and go to a movie and think, oh, that was a good movie and not, I should have done that. Not want to pick apart every single detail. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, it just just struck me as, as funny. I was like... Wow, so that's an official statistic. Someone's actually done research on that. I've really wondered about that sometimes of how how many, you know, how weird is this or not, as the case may be. But anyway, (laughs) we're kind of continuing the conversation that we started looking at call and vocation with Claire and Jamie. We are going to focus on the call of the stones and a call and vocation of some of the other characters in the series. But I think the plan is we are going to spend significant time on Roger and Bree in a future episode. We'll mention them a, a little bit today, but yeah. um, the call of Roger and Bree and probably separately as well, because Roger's call, as far as, you know, from a theological perspective, if we're looking at Homelander that way, is probably the richest in the sense of a traditional call to ministry. And yeah. so we, we feel like he deserves his own his own episode. However, there's lots of other stuff that we wanted to make sure and talk about. So that's what we're doing today, yeah. right? Yeah. First, before we get into call on vacation again, mm-hmm. I think we've got some listener feedback that you have. Yeah, we do. You have, yeah, draw, that's right. you have found on the internet webs and again we 
are doing this podcast so we can engage with the community that's out there. And so we've got lots of ways to get in touch with us to give us your feedback. And this is just some of the folks that are giving us feedback. And yeah. we really, really appreciate that. So, so Jamie, what have we got going on? Yeah, well, okay, so we've gotten responses from a few people via social media just kind of saying that they've started listening to the podcast and they want to say thanks and that it's, you know, been really interesting for them and they really connect with our way of dealing with the text. Yeah, just kind of shout out to Katrine and to Bodil and to Sarah and to Emily. All of them have have given us some great responses. Great in the sense of not that they necessarily agree with us, but great in the sense of that they're they're really useful and really helpful for us to hear how they're responding to the series. Bodil's from Sweden and we just want to say your English is amazing. So your oh my English gosh. is much better than our <laughs> Swedish. So, so we much better. are happy to hear from you at any point in time and never, never, never apologize about your, your English because that's fantastic. So in the first season of the podcast, we were doing survey forms and they're on our website and you can go and you can answer a few questions. We kind of decided to move away from that for season two. If you would like to have them back, it'd be great to hear that you want those back. But at the moment, we're not doing them. So Julia has responded to some of the questions from our earlier episodes and has again given us loads that's been really useful and really helpful but she says that she's just started coming into Outlander but she has really resonated with Claire being an Outlander and feeling so Mm -hmm. misunderstood she says that she grew up overseas and had never really felt like she fit in anywhere culturally this is Julia saying this and she feels a lot of comfort strangely in Claire and Jamie being in a world that's so hostile and so frightening So she talks about her personal world as being an activist and a community health nurse and a foster mom in the inner city with kids who have been through trauma. And she says it's weird, but stories or narratives where everything is safe makes her feel even more isolated. And so the Outlander helps her with their stories of resilience through difficulty. It makes her feel as if she and her family can survive the challenges that have been set before them. That's amazing. That is amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, thank you, again, Julia. That's such useful yes. information to know kind of how people are responding to Outlander. People kind of poo-poo stories so much. Mm. And it's, it's just, and, and they're like, oh, well, it's only a story. Or, oh, it's mm-hmm. just a, but no, 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 no. Again, it goes back to stories. We are the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. And this, yeah. is an, this is an exceptional story to tell yourself, right? It does point to resilience. It does point to determination. It mm-hmm. does point to clinging to each other to get through the storms of life. It really does. Yeah. And the heroes have got feet of clay, which is a, mm-hmm. another important thing to realize. You, you can't always look towards the shining star. We can't always be the god up on, the, on Mount mm-hmm. Olympus. But it, it is pointing to humans doing human things and still surviving because the humans love each other and choose Mm -hmm. to be together. Wow, thank you, Julia. That's really strong feedback. We stepped away from the forms because we felt like it was a little better for our listeners and for the community to kind of do freeform stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you want some more questions for direction, just let Mm -hmm. us know. Both of us are curricular at heart. (laughs) (laughs) And, and we will happily put a curriculum around this if you want. <laughs> We've got more feedback for the next episodes, but I really just wanted to, to highlight Julia and say thank you so much for that. Really useful. So vocation. We did an episode on Claire and her vocation. We did an episode on Jamie and his vocation. And in those episodes, we kind of talked about what vocation is. Mm-hmm. And um, calling, and what too. It is. Calling yeah, and, and calling. So, mm-hmm. so vocation comes from the Latin word vocare. It means to call. And so it's the knowledge of what you're here to do is your calling. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you do that thing and you find mm-hmm. a method to do that thing, that is your vocation. That's the thing you do. So you, mm-hmm. you get a call based upon where your heart is heading Mm. is you know Mm -hmm. kind of where the call is and there's a very famous quote by Frederick Buechner Mm. about what vocation is Mm -hmm. and he says that vocation is the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need Mm -hmm. and so in vocation we're always looking to kind of meet the need of the community around us Mm -hmm. and the calling is to be in that community and to serve that community Mm -hmm. but it has a lot to do with 
what is present in our heart, what our skills are, what our deep love is. Mm. Doesn't mean that mm. it's always going to be easy, but it does mean that it involves our talents and our skills with a deep passion for doing something for someone else. And so yeah. that's that's kind of, you know, where we're coming from as far as call and vocation. And if you want a little more in-depth conversation about that, then go back to the Claire episode from last yeah, season. Yeah, because that's where we started and kind of built yeah. the framework and then um, right. and then dealt with her and then did an episode about, around Jamie. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, but this episode we're talking about the call of the stones. Mm. So we talk about call of Claire and we talk about call of Jamie, not in the sense that they've heard a physical call, right? Mm. Not Mm. in the sense that they've heard God talking from the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Moses and going, God talking from the mountain from a bush Mm. or something. We we don't really get that sense of calling in Mm. Diana's books Mm. because God is not actually... A physical character in the books. Mm-hmm. God is mentioned a lot, but mm-hmm. God is not really an actor that we see in mm-hmm. the books. Mm-hmm. I'd argue that God is still there, but yeah, you know, it, too. it's not but, right, but not as a specific character that's referred to in in that particular right. way that moves the plot in any particular way. Yeah, correct. But mm. the, the stones actually are a physical sound for certain folks who can hear them. And so while this is all fantastical and this is an opportunity for time travel mm-hmm. and they they seem to have a mystical quality to them, there are certain people like Claire and Bree and Roger and Galus mm-hmm. who hear the stones calling them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a special it's a special call. Yeah. And it's yeah. for a select group of people. Yeah, it's not Jamie, it's not Ian, mm. it's not Myrta. They can't physically hear them calling. They don't hear the thrumming of the stones. Yeah, yeah. So what's the purpose of the stones? If we're talking we about call and vocation, <laughs> it, you know, we're talking kind of primarily around purpose in some way, aren't we? we or are we? Well, we're assuming that there's a purpose. I, I don't know that we are necessarily given that so far. Mm-hmm. We've been given the, the brand Sears prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. That a child that is a 200-year-old baby is going to rule Scotland, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Or is going to come and save Scotland in some way. Yeah. And, and so the assumption, if you connect a bunch of dots that are not connected in the story, mm-hmm. is that Brianna is the fulfillment of this prophecy Mm. and that Claire goes back in time to create this prophecy Mm. and that there must be something out there that's kind of acting on the world in this way. Those dots are not connected Mm -hmm. in the text. And you said Claire goes back in time to create the prophecy. Do you mean to fulfill the prophecy? Well, I mean, yeah, fulfill the prophecy. Okay, so all right. Just yeah, double, I mean, I'm just, just double checking. Yeah. I want, yeah, because I, I have yeah. to admit, the prophecy is probably my least favorite thing in the entire I to, series. I have to agree. That's <laughs> why I hated Voyager. To be honest, I mean, hate is a strong. I don't hate it. It's Outlander, of course. But that's yes. why why Voyager is my least favorite of the books. Was it because that prophecy thing was just like what? It just seemed it, completely out of just. Ugh. And then yeah, all this it, other stuff that's happening now in the later books, of just kind of I don't. There's plenty to be getting on with. We don't really have to insert a prophecy necessarily, but I guess you got to have some reason to... I didn't like it either. I didn't like it as a story device. I felt like it was weak as a story device. I felt like it was reaching. Now, mind you, it's carried through. This is... I think this is part of why Frank writes all these letters to Brianna. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's true. Yeah. And helps push the story into some dangerous waters for Brie whenever she goes back to her time. And it also, you know, pushed the story in Voyager along too. I don't know if Diana could have done it any differently or whether or not she'd considered a bunch of things. It, it kind of reminds me, I, my son and I have this joke about vampire babies. <laughs> I can that, imagine where this that, is going to go. Oh, oh, this is going to go into so, and I just actually wrote this in a in a screenplay too about vampire babies. I think that when a writer reaches for a vampire baby, they have run out of things to do. They have run out of story. They have run out of conflict. Vampires can't have babies, guys. They're dead. It's Twilight <laughs> have, all over twi- again. Oh, yeah. 
Well, it, but but it's not just Twilight. It's also yeah. supernatural. They got angel babies in Buffy. They yeah. had babies. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going, how is this even remotely possible? They're dead. <laughs> and of course, vampires are not possible either. But in the realm of the world, you know, everybody always reaches for a stupid vampire baby. And yeah. so to me, this is jumping the shark. This is That was about com- to say, is, is vampire babies another, another uh, way of saying jumping the shark? It is for me. It for for, yeah. for me and my son. Yeah. When you say up oh, vampire baby, that's yeah. it's, it's it's a jump the shark moment. And for those of you who are listening who don't know what jump the shark means, it comes from Happy Days. <laughs> Happy Days the television was a, show. What, a 1960s TV series. Oh, no. 1970s. 1970s. 1970s and, and went and, for like unfortunately ridiculously long amount of time. Yeah. It did. It it ran for a bunch of years and. By the time that it had been like its fifth season or so, they were running out of stuff. I mean, Richie was starting to go bald. Um, fifth season? Really? Was it only five? I, I don't know. Oh, no, no. It was, it ran longer than that. I, I don't know. I was like look it by up. year 12 or 15 or something oh, no. like that, but maybe, maybe not. I don't I, think it, it ran matter. that long. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, by the time they get to maybe the fourth or fifth season, they've run out of material. And so Fonzie on the show has to prove that he is the biggest badass around. And he, with his leather jacket on. Yeah. Because he's never without With his it. leather jacket on, he jumps a shark with. While water skiing. Um, water skis yeah Mm -hmm. because he has to prove something to someone and they save someone or something Mm -hmm. it is the dumbest plot in the world and at that moment they lost their audience yeah yeah at that moment the suspension of disbelief was no longer possible the and that is vampire babies and that is the exact point at which it all went downhill yeah right now luckily with the prophecy It didn't all go downhill. Diana's writing is exceptional. And so she brings it back to the story of Mm -hmm. relationship and the story of, you know, what's going to happen next Mm -hmm. with Claire and Jamie and with Roger and Bree. But the whole thing about the prophecy, to me, that's a vampire baby. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, okay, so all that to to go back to the Call of the Stones. The prophecy is connected to it but not necessarily the prophecy doesn't say the person had to come back through the stone i mean that in the tv series it was this whole 200 year old baby thing it is different in the book the book is just focused on the lineage of of love it yeah that failed in the 1800s right it, it failed yeah, in the 19th yeah. century yeah and the, and we know that the time travel aspect allows for the lineage to continue through jamie because yeah. claire goes to the 20th century right but there there's nothing there's nothing in the book or really in the tv series that necessarily impacts the call of the stones per se the stones possibly make it happen but they're not inextricably linked are they do you think no okay so there's one person who does this linking there's one mm-hmm. person who who does say that the sto- why the stones were there and it's Galas. Yeah. Okay. She believes that the stones are there so that she can go back in time and change history. She believes so that the for Galas, that's there. the purpose of the stones. That's how we got that's started on this. Is talking the about the purpose right. of the stones. Galas thinks the purpose of the stones is for people to go back and change history. Correct. And and Claire does not necessarily believe that. She thinks mm-hmm. that Galas is well at this point nuts because she yeah. is at this point nuts that's the whole reason why Galas goes back and she knows that that this is her calling mm-hmm. is to go back and change things mm-hmm. so that her people are mm-hmm. saved so she can change the outcome of Culloden of course that doesn't happen yeah and so it crosses a bit of a crisis of faith for Galas so to speak yeah yeah and, and what she believes the call of the stones are. Mm-hmm. There has to be something, there has to be a reason for them, or maybe it's just that we are so steeped in there has to be a reason for everything. <laughs> is, is it, yeah, can we be satisfied with the mystery of not really knowing the purpose right. of things? Yeah. Except mm-hmm. that the god of this world is Diana Gabaldon, and she could tell us <laughs> what true. the purpose of That's the stones true. are. She's, she's not quite as mysterious as, yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Right. But I mean, so you've got you've got an entire cult around taking care of these stones too. Mm. Mm. So you you've got an the entire so there, to there care must, for the stones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's got to be a connection into why the stones all over the world exist. Mm -hmm. There must be, even if we're thinking about this in evolutionary terms, Mm -hmm. nothing exists now that didn't have a purpose or didn't have a reason or didn't have some benefit to the society in which it was created. And so these stones are all over the world. Are they Mm -hmm. markers for something bigger? Is there a reason for them? Are they something... Is there something there to provide, or are they warning stones? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know, but Mrs. Graham and Fiona and all of the people that have cared for the stones, mm-hmm. you know, are, are 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 caring for them for at least for their reasons, mm-hmm. and caring for the people who pass through them too. Like if they're aware yeah. that those are time portals, it's not just about care of the stones, but of the of the people who use them. Well, they've heard the stories of the old folk, yeah. 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 I mean, cuz I'm it just I I'm I love how the new season is portraying Fiona. Yeah. Very very same, you know, the same as in the books and she she is very clear about her role and and what she's to what she's to do and what her grandmother did prior to her. Yeah. And I I love that. I think that's really great. I love that she's got such a strong backbone on this. too. She's Mm -hmm. just like, we're going to do this thing. (laughs) That's just how it's going to (laughs) be. Yeah. Okay. So you talked about, you said about Galus feeling like the stones were there. Their purpose was to go and change history. But Claire and Jamie interpret Claire's own you know, more remarkable journey and and knowledge of the future, at least in Dragonfly and Amber, as also a calling to change history. So even though she's not as gung ho about it as as Galus is, she's not as she didn't go with that purpose through the stones. No, now she that she's there, yeah. this knowledge that she has needs to be used. So again, kind of that yeah. utilitarian purpose sort of idea you can't just sit on this right yeah right i think utilitarianism is very appropriate particularly for her generation so claire's of the greater generation she's of the greatest generation they're the ones that you know won world war ii saved the world from (laughs) from adolf hitler uh (laughs) they're they're the ones who and rebuilt everything right yeah They, they rebuilt the whole world she's like well got to be useful there's got to be even if there's no reason even if this is an accident maybe we can do something with it yeah and i i I like that idea of putting whatever it is to use she Mm -hmm. tries to make sense of an absolutely insensible (laughs) absolutely occurrence she and galas are actually working to do the same thing yeah yeah to change culloden yeah it's so funny. They're both, you know, for the purpose to to help win Culloden as opposed to lose it, but ideologically are so different or motivated by different reasons um, in some ways. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. So I think Jamie leaves a little more room for mystery and mm. a little more room for letting that happen. And, um, you know, as we've talked about Claire's move towards allowing the mystery to happen a little bit more. So they were not able to make Culloden go away. They were not able to change that. But later in the books, when Claire and Roger talk a little bit about why they think that they are able to hear this, why there must be a purpose. Roger's going through this as well because of his solid Presbyterianism, (laughs) Um, that there there must be something useful here. Uh, Work ethic, work ethic. He's like, you know, but you didn't change history. You weren't able to do that. Mm-hmm. Is this determinism? Is this God is in control of everything and mm-hmm. you just weren't able to do it? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, that's not the case. I'm changing I'm changing the future every day. Every child I deliver safely mm-hmm. who, would, who would have died otherwise, I've changed the future. And Jamie even tells her that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's I mean, not I... these big sweeping changes, at least not yet. I remember reading that, kind of thinking about the whole butterfly in China theory, you know, like the... Oh, yeah, the butterfly effect. Yeah, of kind of, you know, the 
wing you know winds from the wings flapping creates hurricanes on the other side of the world at some point in time right um, right so we don't yeah we don't yet know uh, or haven't yet seen long-standing consequences of those changes i wonder if we will i don't know that we will well and i guess so and this will get it we'll get into this when we talk about time travel and determinism mm-hmm. and free will and such mm-hmm. i had a really great conversation with a biologist here in richmond he's a friend mm-hmm. he works at the university of richmond and i asked him about the butterfly effect and he mm-hmm. said the butterfly effect it depends on how big your butterfly is yeah yeah absolutely a, a, a system a system tends to absorb small changes mm-hmm. it's chaos theory mm-hmm. it's the fact that at a molecular level, it's chaos. But mm-hmm. the ball that you are throwing around that's made of rubber is going to mm-hmm. always behave in a certain way, even though mm-hmm. at the molecular level, it's chaos. So mm-hmm. the whole world, being the ball, can absorb a small butterfly's wing that flutters. But if you've got a bigger butterfly, like say you fly a whole bunch of planes into a building... Mm-hmm. then you're going to create yep. a much bigger effect in the mm-hmm. world than... That's a really great and, 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 and I, Yeah, and, and it also depends on how far back you go, right? So yep. the stones take you back 200 years, mm-hmm. but you can't stop Culloden if it's only a year away, right? Yeah, because yeah, that's you been... Know, it's, that machine's been running <laughs> for a while. For, yeah. for for centuries, you yeah. know, for centuries, if you look back at the history mm-hmm. of the Scottish Highlands and mm-hmm. you know the Wallace and all the rest of them who tried to who tried to free Scotland, then you saw the mm-hmm. movie with Braveheart and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's there's too much history there to mm-hmm. say that this one butterfly wing can can fix it. It's just not going to. Even if they were to kill the Bonnie Prince. Mm-hmm. It would have still ultimately happened, I think. They were able to at least save the Frasers at mm-hmm. Lallybrock, all right? Yeah. They were able to yeah. save Ian and Jenny and the rest of them by having them plant potatoes. Yeah. I don't know what the stones are for, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Diana has revealed that yet, and mm-hmm. she's the god of this universe. Mm-hmm. I wonder why the call is always there for them, is, yeah. is where I am with that. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of said this, but both a call in the sense of a, a, a physical, they hear it, you know, so it is, yeah. you know, we kind of, we just mentioned sort of Moses on the mountain and that kind of stuff. I mean, the calls right. are all, the call of the stones is almost like that in the sense of yes. this, this other being, this other something, giving an audible call to which they are attracted and move toward. But then also, like we're saying here, the call of the stones in the sense of what it what journey it puts them on and what that what that means too so it's kind of a well at least two-dimensional there may be another dimension to that as well well and so we've got to think about too so Mm -hmm. it it, and and it's not just galas it's the mantok five Mm -hmm. they they go back in time to change what happened to the native indigenous peoples in the americas and you've also got the people who get lost so it, not just Claire that falls through accidentally. Roger and Bree go through intentionally, mm-hmm. like the Mantok Five, like Galus, like the others. They go through mm-hmm. intentionally through the stones. Mm-hmm. Claire accidentally falls. Roger's father mm-hmm. accidentally falls and doesn't really know what to do either. <laughs> and is it Dr. Livingston? I can't remember what his name yeah. is. But w- yeah. when Roger goes back, he sees his father. And there's this other person with the blue light who's the healer. Yes. And, yeah. I, and Who's the doctor. He also accidentally went Falls through. through. And then they're the ones who are kind of lost in the nether. You know, lost mm-hmm. in the netherland. As they're walking through, they're, Claire says that she can feel them there. The ones who are mm-hmm. lost and screaming. Mm-hmm. And... You know, there's danger to the to mm-hmm. this call. There's mm-hmm. danger to being able to to do this kind of travel. Mm-hmm. But there, there appears to be a lot of them because Claire keeps finding them. <laughs> well, but, she, you know, sometimes she's reliable, sometimes she's not. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that has been. Well, Diana has not explained 
it within the series yeah. what exactly this yeah as we've said what exactly the stones are for what purpose or how exactly they work who those people might be who are sort of trapped so when we were talking about types of calls when we first started mm-hmm. talking about call invocation with claire it kind of goes back to people who are born to a specific task yeah people who are who have a vocation that's thrust upon them Mm-hmm. and people who grow into their vocation. So mm-hmm. many of us will relate to one of those three ways mm-hmm. uh, in, in hero mythology that, that we mm-hmm. generally see a call. Mm-hmm. You know, Luke Skywalker, born to a task. Mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, born to a task. She's mm-hmm. born, she has this DNA, mm-hmm. she's able to go out and kill the vampires. There's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of Buffy's out there. There's a whole bunch of vampire slayers out there, but she's the one. She's the one who protects the world. Mm-hmm. There are those that the vocation is kind of thrust upon them. Mm-hmm. Moses didn't mm-hmm. really have a choice. He just kind of went, boom, you, you've got to do this. This is, mm-hmm. your people are dying over there and you need to do this. Frodo. And presents itself and here you go. Yeah. Yeah, Frodo, Samwise Gamgee, Mm -hmm. Katniss, Mm -hmm. and Hunger Games. And then there are those who kind of grow steadily into this vocation. So we get the story of Abraham and Sarah long Mm -hmm. before God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make this great Mm -hmm. nation of you. Iron Man, Spider-Man, the Marvel Mm -hmm. mythology. You you have this opportunity. Some of it's an accident, like with Spider-Man. Some of it is intentional, like with Iron Man. Mm -hmm. But they kind of grow into this. Hermione Granger from... Mm -hmm the Harry Potter series. These are these are all people who kind of grow into it. And I think that what you get with the stones is a little bit of vocation being thrust upon you and a little bit of you're born to something. Well, yeah, absolutely. So you're you are born born to it because of DNA, right? I think it's been yes. established thus far that these are Master Raymond's tribe for lack of a better term his people his babies his you know progeny whatever however this is structured it seems to be that's the case so they are definitely born to it in the sense of they have this ability and if they are presented with an with stones to go through and they do they can but yeah you're right they it is kind of thrust upon them especially for the those who find it accidentally right yeah yeah so so for claire the first time through it's a complete accident but she decides to do something with it Mm -hmm. she decides to stay with jamie Mm -hmm. she decides to heal people around her and use her skills and abilities to help folks in the 17th or in the 18th century Mm -hmm. deal with morbid sore throats in a better Mm -hmm. way so that they don't die from them and jamie does not have this capacity he You know, if I, I think if she could have, she would have taken him back through the stones with her. Mm-hmm. There's, to... I, I should also say, there's an entire fan fiction body of literature around modern Jamie. Jamie somehow was able to go back through the stones with Claire, and now they live in Glasgow. And then, you know, he's like a wine merchant, and you know, living a life, and they're in a flat, and you know, what I like just there is, there is. <laughs> And I should just say, there is an entire fan fiction body of literature around that. So, anyway. Does he use a telephone? Because, you know, he yes. saw one in his dreams. <laughs> he uses the telephone. Oh, yes, man, I'm going to have to read this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all modern conveniences, he's there. He does it. Yeah. 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 So, how does this relate to our faith? How does this mm-hmm. relate to uh, theology? What we think about the greater things that are out there? You know, sometimes we accidentally fall into things, and sometimes we are called to be more than we are, called to a purpose greater than than ourselves. Mm-hmm. You wanted to say something about evangelical exceptionalism, which is a big word. <laughs> and, and I will let you explain that word. <laughs> because we've both, we've both been as a part of evangelical exceptionalism. We have been, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of maybe kind of how we started this conversation as, you know, summer youth camp being told that we were here for a purpose. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I think it's probably easier to, if we go sort of scale back a little bit and so we I mean we've kind of been dancing around this but but we 
we can give it some terms and philosophically there's some there's some conversations that have been had about this so the terms of kind of consequentialism or utilitarianism where you are as a consequence of wherever you are or what has happened you then do the best with what you've got right and utilitarianism right. That, that you know you have a purpose in the sense of wherever you are, the purpose is to live the best life that you can or, you know, do the best for your community. Wherever place you are, the utility is to for it to be used in a particular way. And so there's that. And that's for for those maybe who feel a particular call, but also for those who don't necessarily feel a particular call, but are wanting to find meaning in whatever it is they're doing. And then Aristotle had this idea about exceptionalism and excellence, where based on who you are, your skills, your identity, you are an exceptional person for this particular task, meaning that you have been created for this or that you have been set aside, you have been accepted, you've been moved you know, into a different different space. And so there's this idea, this kind of tension within the series of, and we've been talking about this kind of as we go along, yeah. that, that you, you can, this sort of maximizing happiness and positivity, positivity through you, utility and through usefulness versus exceptionalism based on your skills and your identity. And Claire and Jamie are are a mix of those two, but would kind yeah. of fall, I would say, how they've been written more around that exceptional idea. Their skills, yeah. their identity, their clarity of call, they know what they're here to do. They're exceptionally good at it. And consequences give them the opportunities to use that as opposed to not being terribly good at anything, but consequence causes you to be as good as you can be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I... I... So this kind of reminds me a little bit about Harry Potter. Yeah. So if we're, if we're talking about Aristotle, you can't talk about exceptionalism without practicing your exceptionalism. Exactly. If you are born to the, with this exceptional skill, you mm-hmm. still have to practice that skill Yeah. so that you can be that. So you're born with a musical ear, but you want to be a guitarist? Guess what? you got to play guitar. Yeah, yeah. You can't just walk around and say, hey, I'm a guitarist because I've got exceptional musicians. Um, you, you actually yeah, what have you to do has to prove that of has what to you do say it. you're called to do. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what Dumbledore says to Harry. Hmm. You've been given this exceptional skill because you are, and if you haven't read the books, I'm sorry, you are the final <laughs> horcrux of, of, you know, the one who must not be named. And yeah. because you have this this very exceptional connection to evil doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that you're evil. It's all mm-hmm. based upon your choices. It's mm-hmm. all based upon what you do. Mm-hmm. And Harry chooses to practice and use his gifts for good mm-hmm. and use his gifts to save people and to sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. And so that makes him exceptional, yeah. but it also gives him the opportunity to use something for the good of others. It, it it's I'm stuck in this position. I now need to make choices mm-hmm. that will be useful for my community. Yeah, and for yeah. the world. Yeah. So so in in Outlander, and we we did mention this in the previous episodes, but so Frank Bree, both Ians maybe Lord John Gray. Their happiness is around their utility and their usefulness, I would say. That their their meaning in life is is pretty much around that. Whereas I think claiming claiming <laughs> like Brangela and uh, yeah. Claiming uh, Claire and Jamie is around their around their excellence, around what they are super, super good at. But evangelical exceptionalism, which is how we kind of got started talking about this, is poor Roger. <laughs> and we'll spend a diff- yeah. an, an episode just on Roger. So Roger's grown up, you know, in this Presbyterian background. And, and as far as talking about, like I said, vocation and call... Roger's vocation and call is probably the most overtly theological in, of any of them. And it's because of this his struggle with exceptionalism and this kind of messiah complex idea. Is Does he consider his exceptional abilities more utilitarian in the sense of his exceptional abilities to time travel, his call as a minister as he grows into that? Roger also has mm. an exception or had 
if you haven't read the later books, an exceptional singing voice. He yeah. he was exceptional in telling the stories through songs mm-hmm. of the Highlands. Mm-hmm. And he loses this. Yeah. He loses his exceptional skill, his talent, mm. uh, because he loses the voice. Yeah, which was such an intrinsic part of his identity. So as we're talking yeah. about Claire and Jamie and their identity being so based on what it is they feel called to do. Claire, yeah. first and foremost, a healer. First yeah. and foremost, before anything else, that's what she does. Jamie, a leader, I would say. No matter where he is, no he's always going to be the. No matter he where is he is, people there. will look to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great to have family around. It's great to be, you know, all these other things that he does. But even in the midst of pure misery, he is still leading men, and he's leading them in a, a solid ethical community mm-hmm. that supports each other and that does good for their community. Yeah. And so yeah. the the loss of either of those things for claiming for <laughs> It's a thing for now. Claire or Jamie She's said it three times. Thing. It's a thing. Claiming. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> but the loss of either of those things for Claire or for Jamie would would lead to serious identity crisis. And it did. Yeah. For Roger, it's no difference. The loss of his ability to sing, the loss of his voice. And he was a teacher, and he stood in front of people and spoke. And there was something very... He was respected. He was Yeah, absolutely. He was respected. He Um, should have, in going back and actually living the history that he taught, he should mm -hmm. have excelled. Right? He should have. He should yeah. have. He, he should. Was if he were as a history teacher, yes, he should have gone back in history and excelled at everything. Instead, he gets himself beat up by his future father-in-law. Mm-hmm. He gets himself captured by the indigenous peoples in the area. He gets mm-hmm. himself hung. He gets mm-hmm. himself, you know, and all of these things happen to Roger. He does not have the best of luck when he no. goes back in the time that he has mm-hmm. taught. I mean, and that has to be humiliating to a certain degree to Mm -hmm. expect that you should know this, but people who knew nothing about the time, like Mm -hmm. Claire, they thrive back then. Mm -hmm. They thrive. To realize you don't have the skills to live in the time you teach has got to be a, a huge question of why was I called back to this time? And yeah. You know, why, why are the did stones the stones calling, calling me? me? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Except that I don't know that he would have ever gone through them if it weren't for Bree. <laughs> well, so I don't know so about that. So did the that. stones call him or did Bree call him? Yeah, I don't know about that. So here's the thing. If I hmm. were a history teacher hmm. and I had just been told that you could time travel through stones hmm. and that my future mother-in-law has is going to travel through stones and I watch her do it and I happen to be able to hear them I don't know I think I would be that that would be like the garden of Eden and we just talked about this a couple of episodes ago that would be like putting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden for me and and I would be drawn to those stones drawn to them I would have to go it's a good question I I mean I don't I, would argue. I, I don't I, think Diana listen, wrote it that way. Tell us what you think. I don't think that he's yeah. written that way. I don't think he's, he's really not. curious about traveling back in time. I mean, he's curious to talk to someone who else, you know, someone else who's done it, but he doesn't seem to be terribly adventurous in that way. I don't know. I hmm. if, if it were me, I would want to do it, but I'm not Roger, and Roger is written in a different way. I think if Bree hmm. stays in the 20th century, he stays he with her. He would have stayed, it. yeah. Then this is the question, is his call to Bree? I think her call, her, her siren call to him is stronger than any call of the stones. Yeah. I yeah, think his heart, okay. I think his heart knows where it's happy, mm-hmm. and the heart knows what the heart wants, and mm-hmm. He follows his heart. He's he's much more romantic than Bree is. He is Roger is much, super romantic. He's he is super romantic. Super super romantic character. Yeah. Oh, and he is. It it absolutely plays well on on he screen does. too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. oh, I can't 
wait for this episode today. Oh, my God. He will follow Bree. Bree is willing to give him up for her mother. My heart breaks for him in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Bree yeah. is Bree is willing to. She loves him, but she mm-hmm. is much more practical in the sense mm-hmm. that she needs to go save her mother and Jamie from death. That yeah. she is going to go change history because she doesn't believe in determinism. She wants Roger to know that she loves him, but she doesn't want mm-hmm. to break his heart, and she mm-hmm. ends up doing that just exactly that way. So, in comparison, so we've you know we've talked about Roger and kind of his call a little bit. Like I said, we'll spend a whole episode on the on the other bit big call for him. But does Brianna take her call for granted? I, in some ways, I, I feel like she kind of does. She doesn't really give it much thought. She's very much like Claimy. I did it intentionally that time. <laughs> Where saying, it's just what I do. I'm special yeah. and this is what I'm called to do. I do it. Oh, I can go through stones? Fine. I'm going through the stones. Like it's not, there's just not a lot of thought about it. It's just kind of a, right, here I am. This is it. In some way. But then we just said hers. about her utility yeah. and usefulness earlier. So I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm contradictory. I, I, I don't think she dithers. I don't think she's she as self-reflective no. No, yeah. as, as Roger is or even as mm. Claire is. Claire seems to be fairly self-reflective in at least mm. her call on the stones. She's mm. not so much reflective about her call to heal. But she, she does yeah. reflect quite a bit about why she's called to do what she's doing. I don't You don't get that from Brianna. She has been told about the stone. She doesn't believe it at first. She figures out that it's true. Mm-hmm. And now this is just a means to an end. Mm-hmm. She's going to go save Jamie and Claire. And she's going to use the stones to get there. And she's mm-hmm. just going to trust. I, I think her father, Frank, her, mm-hmm. her father, Frank, and Claire mm-hmm. have instilled such strong confidence in her mm-hmm. that she feels like she can just go and do this. Mm. And I also wonder the, the exceptionalism is bred into her and is has been has been taught to her. You can do this. You yeah. have the skills. You have the brains. Of course, you can do this. You'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm curious. It suddenly sort of occurred. Sort of occurred to me. If anyone has ever done the enneagram to the Outlander characters, because I oh, think no. Bree oh is God, probably cool. an eight. I'm yeah. an eight, and I recognize a lot of what she does in that. Um, <laughs> kind of abrasive, kind of, uh, but fairly confident in what she does, get, gets on with it, doesn't really think about it very much, and then when she does, right. you know, it's kind of like, well, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just really curious about that, if anybody's done, if anybody knows about that, then, you know, let us know. No, but we should, um, maybe we should do that, that, that for one of our episodes. That would be very cool. Yeah. So for for our listeners out there who don't understand what the 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s and today of what evangelical exceptionalism has done, Mm. and we kind of brushed over that a little bit, and we talked about exceptionalism with Aristotle in in a bit. Mm. There was a shift in the 20th century, and it Mm. happened around the 50s and the 60s, from retreats and gatherings and Christian education having to be about teaching Bible and teaching theology to a shift to much more religious emotional experiences with mm-hmm. our youth. The 60s kind of, cre- I mean, there's always been a gap between the youth of the day and the elders of the day. There, there's been that's been forever. Yeah. But there was monetizing around it in mm-hmm. the 60s and the 50s. And to market a church, to market a faith, to market a congregation, you would really need to have a strong youth group, mm-hmm. okay? Because if you bring the youth in, then their parents will come too, and so will, so will their participation mm-hmm. and their pocketbooks, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm being very cynical here, and I, I apologize <laughs> for those who are out there who don't understand my cynicism is spoken in love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also true. You know, it's also true. is based in truth, usually. Yeah, so to have a strong youth group, you would have to really go to, you would have to teach to the 
lowest common denominator, and Mm -hmm. that would be Mm -hmm. emotional experiences. And so the youth were always looking for a mountaintop experience, an uh, an Mm -hmm. experience where everybody was together and they could feel the Spirit of God and they sensed Mm -hmm. that they were connected to God in a way. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways in which they connected you to God was to say that Mm -hmm. God made you. God Mm -hmm. made you special. Mm -hmm. God made you to do one specific thing in this world. And it has to do with either helping other people or proclaiming the gospel or both, or Mm -hmm. it it has to do with something really, really specific. And thousands and thousands and thousands of youth from our generation Mm -hmm. and beyond were told Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And yet... Not all of us are out there saving the world. (laughs) So not all of us are. Some of us are accountants (laughs) and a little disappointed in the way our lives have turned out. That Mm -hmm. kind of exceptionalism at the time made you feel like you you could conquer anything. Really did. It's why I became a missionary when I was in college. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. why I went into the ministry because I felt that called somebody when I was four years old told me that that Mm -hmm. there were missionaries out there, five years old, told me that there were missionaries out there and that they needed people like me. And I was five and I listened to them and I believed it. And that was my calling. And I can remember that moment very specifically. But I wonder about the disservice that's been done by that kind of exceptionalism. Yeah. By, you know, the adults who are now jaded, who wonder where God is because they're, you know, mechanics somewhere and they don't know that what they're doing is actually really making the world a better place or that they don't tighten those screws with God in mind and the greater purpose. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think there's some of that going on with Roger right now or Roger in the script. Yeah. And this particular text, he's a golden child in many ways. His his, Mm -hmm. uh, uncle has told has told him he's special his uncle has raised him as special he's become a historian working mm-hmm. at Oxford Oxford and, yeah yeah and so he is exceptional to be a historian mm-hmm. working at Oxford and mm-hmm. he now discovers he's got this ability to go through the stones and mm-hmm. boom he's not really that good at this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. is what he's going to do actually going to change the world is that his points like as he right he hasn't gone to change the world he's gone to get free (laughs) right but once he's there and she's pregnant and they can't come back without i mean he could come back without losing Mm -hmm. his wife and child Mm -hmm. you know they they all ultimately go back right he's got to wonder what's going on in his life there and the fact that he he did find a way to mm-hmm. be exceptional, even without his mm-hmm. voice, even without mm-hmm. the ability to really clear land like Jamie can. We'll talk about um, it more, but even the kind of uh, the call to be a preacher in the 18th century, but not in the 20th. And, and I think that's about context of what can yeah. you, what is your call in the context of that you you find yourself, and that that may very well change from one place to the next. I don't think Brie has ever really been knocked down a notch or two as far as her exceptionalism is concerned. She's not really lost that capacity to believe in herself. Yeah. Doubt is just not a normal state for her. The only time she is that vulnerable is when Mm -hmm. she's having a child. She's concerned about having her children. She's Mm -hmm. concerned about being able to survive it. Mm-hmm. It's a practical. It's very practical. Brie is ultimately extremely practical, but she doesn't seem to have that concern about whether or not she's going to be okay, whether or not she can do anything. I can remember feeling that way when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I can remember mm-hmm. thinking, oh, I'll just go do that. I've got a big enough brain. I'll maybe just go do that. <laughs> oh, I think I'll just, and, and I do this to this day. If, if my washing machine is broken, I'll just take it apart. And put mm-hmm. it back together <laughs> um, because I've been taught that I can do that. My dad was really great with mm-hmm. teaching me that it, I could do anything as long as I've got a book in front of me. And I put my mind to it. Yeah. Well, me too. Which, you know, yeah. considering when we were raised, it, 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 that's quite extraordinary, I think, in some ways. It is such a gift. It mm-hmm. really is. And it, it was a gift to be told that we were special. 
mm-hmm. and that God loved us and mm-hmm. that there is something special out there for us. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us spend a lot of time looking like Roger does to mm-hmm. find where we fit into that greater plan. And I think Roger struggles with what that greater plan is and needing to know where his role is in it. I think about Galus, who was very clear what her role is, mm-hmm. and the, the Mantok Five, very clear what their role is mm-hmm. in the greater scheme of things, and them being so wrong. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we okay, so we're talking about Roger kind of and his doubts after after the loss of his voice. But I think, you know, in Voyager, there there already was kind of the, when Claire and Roger are having that conversation in Voyager, there's always a, already a hint of Roger's kind of doubt and questioning sort of side of things. Because, so Claire tells him, it isn't necessarily easier if you know what it is that you're meant to do, but at least you don't waste time in questioning and doubting. Yeah, yeah. If you're honest, well... That's not necessarily easier easier either, though I suppose if you're honest with yourself and I know and know what you are, at least you're less likely to feel that you've wasted your life doing the wrong thing. And I don't think Roger ever gets to the point where he feels as if he's wasted his life, but I do think he later gets to the point where he perhaps is wasting time questioning and doubting, or yeah. he's... I, Wasting time is too strong of a word because I actually don't think he is. I think he's just trying to figure it out and it takes him longer. But at the same time, there is so much doubt. I think the capacity is pointed to in Voyager. (laughs) He is going to do this. (laughs) Foretelling. And that kind of gets to, I guess, that we have mentioned with Claire and Jamie, I think, is that some calls are painful. Yeah. Some vocations that we do are are not joy-filled. They can be, and you'd like to hope that they will be at some point, or you have at least feel like you, you did the right thing. But some of it is really stinking hard, yeah. and there's just not any other way around it. The call to Culloden. So I think if Jamie had had the ability to go through the stones and Claire wanted him to go through the stones, he still wouldn't have. I think he would have yeah. stayed and fought yeah. next to Myrta, next to those who were his clan, who were his people that he takes care of because he's been called to be the Laird. And sometimes that's not a good calling, the call to leadership in that way. And Roger's call through the stones, you know, nearly gets him killed. And yep. he loses his voice in the process. And and becomes a, a different man in some ways, in other ways not. But that process of change is so difficult. Yeah, I just want to acknowledge that too, that it's not always a, a lovely thing. Sometimes it's, it's fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, there's this great quote by Erica Young that I use a lot in mm-hmm. the work that I did at Union Theological Seminary, Union Presbyterian Seminary now. The work that I did there with Call and Vocation and working with high school kids in this program called mm-hmm. Project Burning Bush, and I use this quote a lot because it's true. Erica says, everyone has talent. What is rare is the courage to follow the talent into the dark place where it leads. That's so true. There is a dark place that your talent will lead you every time. There's, there's always a hill to die on, right? There's always a hill for you to, you know, go to the mattresses on. You you're gonna you can you can die on this hill, but mm-hmm. but what's hard is to go into the valley. That's where I think that Culloden, the Battle of Culloden lay. I think that's where mm-hmm. Claire's going back to Frank lay. I think it's Roger mm-hmm. going to see Bree and and then coming back home without a call, not not knowing mm-hmm. what he should be doing. He's got this incredible abilities and incredible brilliance, but he he doesn't have a place for them. If you're into Joseph Campbell, and I am, for the mythology, Mm -hmm. it's part of the hero's journey. The treasure that you seek lies in the cave that you fear. If you're thinking Star Wars, which a lot of this is based in Joseph Campbell's hero journey, Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back goes into a cave where he has to fight Darth Vader, and he discovers Darth Vader is himself, and it gets even darker by the end because he realizes that Darth Vader is really his father. Mm-hmm. That's the darkness where his call leads, his talent. And he has to have the courage to go that place. So we talked a little bit about Jamie being called into the dark place for Culloden. 
But even mm-hmm. after that, there was prison, indentured servitude, exile. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me a lot of the Joseph cycle of stories from Genesis mm-hmm. and the sense yep. that Joseph is called to something great, but he ends up thrown in a pit. Mm-hmm. He ends up in jail. He ends up almost killed many yep. times and then ultimately ends up working for the Pharaoh. He has to go through a whole lot of muck before he actually gets there. Yeah, And and, and it, it, it still sticks in my craw every time I read it that... <laughs> When I hear Joseph say, you did all this to me and you meant it for the ill, but God, God meant it for the good. That's, I will, I will argue that until my dying day that that is not really the best theology in the world. Thank you, Joseph. No, I'm I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking of all the people who, you know, get shat upon and all this kind of stuff and to just say, you know, well, this is God's will or it's a... you know, it makes you stronger, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no. Maybe. It might make you stronger, but it, it might. also might kill you. Or it might just be shit. And that's just yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah. Claire goes through her dark night of the soul stuff too when she's totally. can't cure herself. When she got very, very sick in a breath of snow and ashes, thanks mm-hmm. to Malva. You know, so she goes through the dark night of the soul. Not only is she does she almost die, she loses mm-hmm. her hair shave Mm -hmm. her head and then she discovers that she's betrayed by Mm -hmm. the woman that she's taken in as as a student that she's very close to that she saw herself in Mm -hmm. and she's betrayed by her it's very very dark that she goes there and she comes out on the other side that's a hard piece for me to read the whole Malva stuff but at the same time it's an opportunity to see Claire's I don't know it makes her more human that she really is not going to live forever I mean, like all of us, we are finite beings. She can cure a lot of things, but she can't always cure herself. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we need to, not that we need to, you know, make it happy again, but I do feel like at some point we need to kind of say, so what does this mean for us? So the call of the stones, this exceptional sort of life versus just doing the best with what you've got kind of idea. When it comes to call, in some ways, I I really think about Mother Hildegard in Dragonfly and Amber, and she's talking about her calling via St. Anselm. And so, I'm I'm just going to quote it. She said, And so he died at the conclusion of his eminently useful life, and thus obtained his crown in paradise. And so, for something she was saying, this, this was something that appealed most strongly to her, an eminently useful life. And she said, I could think of many worse epitaphs than that. I wished to be useful because Claire was asking her how did she become a nun or how did she get into this into this work or into this life. Especially since she was so extremely she was she came from wealth, she came she from a good name. She did. And she had an amazing ability to play piano or not yeah. piano, but but she had musical abilities. She could have mm-hmm. really married well, had lots of children mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and become a lady of relative ease. Yeah, yeah, whatever was expected of her at the time, she certainly could have done. But at the point at which the rubber hits the road, whether it's about exceptional or consequential or whatever, for me, I think it boils down to an eminently useful life, despite the pain, despite the suffering, despite all the other, the darkness that we've talked about. At some point, was my life useful? I think is maybe the question. I don't know. I'd like to think that it is. I at least made it incrementally better at some point. At the end of the day, I think maybe that's what we're all called to do. Yeah. I I think we have to assume if we are people of faith, there is an assumption that like the stones, like we have an assumption in the book that the stones are there for a purpose, Mm. that we are also here for a purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. And so as people of faith, what is our purpose? And it's always been the, the, you know, the larger question for philosophers and for theologians. Mm-hmm. What is our purpose? Is our purpose just to sit around and praise God? Mm-hmm. Or is our purpose to relieve others from pain? And by people of faith, I think we also need to be really careful or, or, or clear of what we mean. Because I, 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 that yeah. question came up on Facebook. When, we, when I say, and I think, Terry, you're with me on this, but when we say people of faith, I mean 
faith in a really broad sense of faith oh, in yeah. that we are <laughs> not necessarily Christian, not necessarily Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or anything like that. Or but spiritual, faith in, but not religious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But just faith that life means something. That there is something more out there. I know a lot more faithful agnostics and atheists <laughs> than, than I know faithful Christians that are out there. And so when I mean people of faith, I mean people who believe in something more. And it might be faith in life, faith in humanity, faith in this world that we find ourselves in. I tend to be a, a little more on the Roger side, mm-hmm. where I wonder if the context and where I'm, I am and how I can be useful, mm-hmm. how I can, how, how do I fit in, how do I belong, Absolutely. and what can I do to make my community a better place. Me too. That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. We would really appreciate it if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps people to find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click the support us at outlandersoul.com. There are lots of ways to donate. Every little bit helps. Also, we'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, and ideas because part of the work that we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. So we're really interested in what you have to say. And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say. So please send us your thoughts through our website, email, voice memos, or social media, and follow the links on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. You can also contact us by email at outlandersoulpodcast at gmail.com or via our website, www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you again in two weeks. See you later. See ya.